back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, they're really starting to get messy now in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. And for the next few months, we're going to be having conversations with delegates from this past synod to talk about what happened and where we go from here. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We also want to say a big thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We are slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 subscribers at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash The Messy Reformation. We've also created a Facebook page where we're putting out some additional content, so we'd love for you to find us at facebook.com backslash The Messy Reformation. There you can like our page and get more updates. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of Synod Reflections from Andy Seitzma. for me, I came way more humble, realized I, I got more work to do with being compassionate and, you know, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, even though we're very divided and all that. So, I mean, God showed up in a lot of ways. And I think that's what was the most encouraging thing for me. To say. Yeah. Amen. hundred percent. And that, that is one of the things I've, I have struggled to, to convey to other people, just the, the spirit in the room, right. At, like you can, you can watch the live streams and you can see what's going on. You can hear the conversations. You can get a sense of the, of the, I don't know, the, the compassionate way. I think we disagreed with one another. You get somewhat of a sense, but you don't get the same sense because you're not in the room. You're not seeing everyone's faces and demeanor and all of that. And so, so even when people spoke fairly firmly, and uh, and forcefully from the floor, I didn't feel like it was always necessarily even out of order or angry, but it was just there. There was passion and conviction, and and you could see it being received as such from from everybody. I was, um, I think I've probably said this already on the podcast, but I was so encouraged by the way that that conversation went that it didn't turn into shouting matches and name calling or or any of that. Um, but, but we were really able to have a, a conversation and a debate, I guess, or technically a deliberation that, uh, that I feel like was truly guided by the Holy Spirit, where um, now I know some people left, right? Some people did leave Synod saying, this was not of God, and this was not of the Holy Spirit, right? And, I, and I've heard some of those criticisms, but I would have to say still the vast majority left saying, um, the decisions we made seemed really good to us as a body, yeah. and it seemed like the Holy Spirit was very much part of that that conversation. And we all we all really felt it. Yeah, and just just to add quickly to that, like we always say that God leads us through His Word and His Spirit, right? So I appreciated 
Like on the one hand, a lot of people referenced scripture, right? And the deliberations. So God's word was central to the reports, the discussion, everything. But again, the spirit was leading. And, and just two quick comments. One was public. The other was more one-on-one with me. I think I can share this, but um, the public one, you know, somebody stood, stood up in the context of the discipline with Neelan Avenue. And he said, you know, I'm for this. It's the right thing to do. He was, you know, for that. But he also asked the question, what can we learn from Neeland? Which I thought was a really courageous thing to say. And I've been thinking about that too. Like I totally disagree with what they did, but I love the spirit of that question because all of us are called to love and have compassion for people and whatever walk of life they are. And Neeland's really tried to do that, even if it's not in a way that, you know, we would say is biblical or whatever. So, you know, you got that side. And that was coming from a more orthodox, you know, conservative delegate. On the flip side, there was uh, a delegate on the other side. And, you know, he said, Andy, I know you and I maybe see this differently. And uh, but as I've been listening, he said, I've been listening, you know, carefully to all the our non-Anglo brothers and sisters. And he said, pretty much all but one have stood up and said, I'm for HSR. And, you know, we got to push back on this as a sin and, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're orthodox, biblical in their understanding. And we also heard from Colin Watson, our executive director, about these 39 Venezuelan churches that have already joined the CRC and where God is working through his spirit in a lot of the non-Anglo church plants and ministries. And he said, if, if that's the future of where God is leading us, and that's where you know most of our non-Anglo brothers and sisters are, not to mention the global church, he said, I, I don't want to get in the way of that. Even though personally it's hard for me, personally it's going to be hard in our context as we wrestle with all this. He said, I want to submit to what God's doing with this church. And I was just blown away by that comment, you know, and again, it's the Holy Spirit and so many examples like that of just God moving, you know, and unless you were there, it's hard to really experience that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been trying to have that conversation with as many people as I can, trying to help them get more of a feel for it. But I think even generally, most of the people even watching on the live stream have really gotten that feel. I, I, there has been, of course, critique and criticism, and, and there's always going to be that. But, but I really hope that people get that feeling that, that there was really a spirit of love and gentleness. There was firmness and boldness and, and all of that. But, uh, but it was all had this good mix yeah. um, of uh, the fruit of the spirit was all was kind of present there, which is why we know that the spirit was moving and, and working. And and that just leads to what I want to keep encouraging everybody in too. Um, we know that this whole thing was bathed with prayer, right? The whole, all of Synod, it was bathed, bathed with prayer throughout the denomination. Um, but I know like I had relatives and friends and family members who were praying for us throughout the whole week of Synod. I was on my knees regularly throughout the week of Synod. I know many, del- I was praying with other delegates throughout the week of Synod. And uh, those prayers were just answered in a really powerful way. And so I want to keep encouraging people, too, that uh, we need to keep praying, too. Uh, The outworking of everything that just happened at the Synod is going to be, to use the words of the podcast, it's going to be even messier than than leading up to that. (laughs) And so in order for us to be able to deal with the mess of kind of working its way out from Synod, we need to keep bathing that in prayer, too, because we want working of these decisions to be done in the same spirit and the same way that, that we came to those same conclusions, I think. 
Yeah, and it, it doesn't take away from the urgency and the importance of what you know we've been you've been saying on the podcast with many Orthodox delegates to ground everything in scripture because we can get away from that and just say everything is about the spirit, but it's not grounded, right? But the flip side, yeah, it has to be bathed in prayer. It's the word and the spirit together. So I thought Synod had a nice, you know, combination of both those things that, that we want to keep encouraging. Yeah, amen. Oh, that's just to kind of put an exclamation point on what you just said. That's one of the things I really appreciate about the Christian Reformed Church and our theology is that we keep those two things connected, yeah. the word and the spirit. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to, and, and we all have a tendency, right? We have a tendency to try to emphasize one over the other. Um, but, but throughout the history of our theology, you even go back to John Calvin, right? And he's nicknamed by some, the theologian of the spirit. And people are like, what? but because he emphasized the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way and how the spirit works with the word of God. And so, um, yeah, we want to keep that, that balance as well as we can continue to work out our understanding of the word of God, that the spirit would continue to lead us into, into all truth as God's word says. Yeah, even like how the spirit will take the word, right? So for example, with the, the discipline of Neil and Nav, you know, a bunch of delegates said, in principle, this is restorative, not re it's restorative, right? Not retributive. But uh, I think it was Professor Wyma got up and said, this is a Galatians 6.1 moment where Paul says, brothers, if one of you is caught in a sin, those of you who are more spiritually mature should restore that brother, but do it gently, lest you yourself get caught up in that, right? So, yeah. and hopefully that in local committee will do just that. And that's, again, taking God's word, but then through the spirit, you know, doing the right thing, which is discipline, but doing it in the right way with the fruit of the spirit, with gentleness, with humility, right? But with firmness and all that. So it's, you can't separate those two. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I think that's a good reminder for, um, and I, I don't know where everybody's at now. And I just had heard a little bit of conversation coming out of Synod where there were some, uh, well, whatever, conservatives, if you want to call them, that were, had hoped we would accomplish more you know, um, more regarding disciplinary stuff. And, uh, and I think, um, on the one hand, I understand, right? I think there's some that are just kind of tired of the fight and just want it to be done. Um, but the reason where I think we landed where we landed at Synod is, for one, we wanted to emphasize the restorative nature of this. Like, when we do discipline, we have to give people the opportunity to repent. We can't, now you may be doubtful, that they'll repent, but you still have to give them the opportunity for the spirit to work, the spirit to convict them and bring, and to bring repentance. And so, and if we would have tried to accomplish everything at this synod, we would not have been doing discipline with gentleness and yeah. respect. Yeah. It would have been just pounding people with a hammer. And so yeah. we wanted to strike that balance. And I feel like we did, we did that well. And it was a struggle, um, as I've been reminding people. I mean, I think this is the first time the CRC has taken direct disciplinary action on a congregation in 20 years or probably more than 20 years. And so it was a big step for us to do that, but we want to do that well, and we want to do that gently, but we still want to do it because we think it's not only, it's good for them, right? I think it's good for them to hear, this is not the way God calls you to interact and to do ministry. And so we want you to come back and we want you to do it in a way that brings God glory and honor and, and is good for the people that you're ministering to as well. And so, but it's always the struggle because I think, 
Um, I don't know about you, but but I have grown up in churches and been part of churches my whole life that have been so afraid to do discipline that, uh, and I think the CRC in general has been kind of afraid to take disciplinary action. And so we don't necessarily know how to do it well. Um, but I keep trying to tell everybody, we just because we don't know how to do it well, doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It means we need to start doing it and trying to learn how to do it well. And I think it's one of those things that we're going to mess up and and we're going to fail at. Um, And then when we do that, we repent, we repent, we get rebuked, (laughs) we repent. And then we try it again and we try to do it better, but we have to start doing it to figure out how to do it in our local churches, but also as a denomination. Yeah. I mean, and I've, I've always I've heard a lot of people on this podcast who say it's a weak link with discipline. You know, second Timothy three 16, that for all scriptures, God breathes useful for teaching, which we've done a lot of, but also rebuking, correcting training. Those last three, we don't, don't always do well. Don't do a lot of, but they're super important. So this is a great example of that. Yeah. Amen. And so we'll pray that the spirit continues to work and, and I've been, I have been finding myself regularly praying for Neyland coming out of this and, and a number of other churches that have kind of gone down the path for Neyland as well, praying that this would be an opportunity for them to repent and to come back. And, uh, and for, you know, I mean, I think praying for Calvin University, right? I know there's a lot of tension there about what this decision and, and how that's going to work out on campus. And and just praying that there would be clarity and, and wisdom for them moving forward. And I just want to encourage everybody, uh, we need to, we really need to keep praying over all of this and, and the outworking of it. Yeah. So this might be, uh, I don't know if it's an easier question to answer or a, or a tougher one, but so that there were some of the things that encouraged you at Synod. What were some of the things that you kind of walked away from Synod feeling maybe a little discouraged about? Yeah. So a, a couple things. Um, one was right after Synod, and even during Synod, maybe. I mean, all of us delegates were off social media, so I wasn't part of that. Uh, but then afterwards, like, and I've, I've actually still been off of it since Synod <laughs> for my own mental health, whatever. But my wife is, like, just listening in. She's like, man, it's so hard, and people are saying things out of anger or fear or hurt or whatever. And, you know, that whole social media community and the message that gets conveyed is very different than what we experienced at the floor of synod. So, you know, I think our prayer was let's, let's let what happened and the the tone of how it happened just filter out. But social media is like night and day difference. If if that's all you hear, it's just like so different. So that that's been discouraging. Um, Also, I think the reality that we still are deeply divided as a denomination and, you know, synod spoke clearly and not just, you know, this is one more issue, but it's a confessional matter. It's, it's a weighty issue with sin and all that. But people see the issue differently with, you know, and I think it exposes, to me, it's kind of like an iceberg, right? So you got the prevent, presenting issue on the top, but what's what's underneath it? And I think it's exposing we have different maybe approaches to scripture. I think that needs a conversation that needs to happen a lot more hermeneutics and, and the details on that. Um, also, just, you know, sin. What is sin? What's not a sin? How do, how do you view that? Um, which gets into what is the gospel? Because <laughs> if you're not saying something's a sin, you know, why do we need a savior? That kind of thing. And then more specifically, I've heard other people say this, but I, I tend to agree, like the, 
how would you articulate the gospel? And I think what's emerging is, you know, and I'll just use myself as an, like our, the, not conservative, but like an orthodox biblical understanding. We'd say the gospel is about, you know, uh, Jesus coming to announce good news and repentance of sin. And we ask for forgiveness and there's grace and we turn and there's transformation, you know, all that. So gospel of grace and forgiveness where you run away from your sin and you run towards Jesus. I, what I'm hearing a lot of, and maybe this is where the conversation needs to happen, is more gospel just of affirmation. And it's not a lot. You don't hear a lot about sin. And those are different things, and the outcome is different, uh, which leads to the last thing, which is a difference in pastoral care. Because, you know, maybe both sides would look at the other side and say, what you're saying and how you're saying it is, you know, producing spiritual harm. So how do you how do you reconcile those things, right? So so synod spoke, it was confessional, there's discipline, you know, we kind of put some parameters around there. And we'll see what happens down the road. I'm hopeful people get the message or whatever, but my concern is that given all these deep divisions, it's more like, well, we're not going to do anything to, you know, cause discipline, but we'll we'll obey the letter of the law, but maybe not the spirit of it. Right? Will there really be a change of Maybe not rebuking, but the correcting. Will people be willing to be corrected in their their understanding of Scripture and so forth? So I I think there's a lot of work that still has to happen, and we'll see how it all unfolds. But that's uh, I don't know if it's a discouragement or just a reality of where we are. But one of the delegates voiced that on the floor of Synod, and I, I think it is what it is. So yeah, yeah, I think it's both. I think it's uh, it's a reality that we, here's where we're at. I think it it did bring as uh, um, I have said, it, it brought some clarity to just where we're at as a denomination. I, I keep getting, uh, <laughs> people are tired of me talking about clarity, but, but uh, there, there is some importance for us to see clearly reality and where we're at. And it drew some pretty strong, it, it brought clarity to where we're at as a denomination. And so that's a good thing on the one hand, but it, but it is discouraging, right? I, I think I mentioned on this podcast at one point, um, I had talked to a fellow pastor and they said, I guess I was really encouraged that 75% voted in front of these things, but I was also very discouraged that there were 25% of the delegates that voted against these. That was, they're like, I'm encouraged that the vast majority of the people are, are standing firm in this area, but I'm discouraged that 25% is still quite a few um, that, are, that are kind of going against this. And so it's discouraging. Um, to to figure out, or to just realize this is where we're at now, and uh, and really wondering about the path forward, and and like you said, based on some of the conversation happening on social media, um, it's that's pretty discouraging because there doesn't seem to be any form of repentance. It seems like there's just a doubling down on this, and actually, um, I guess I'll just say. Uh, another thing that's been discouraging to me lately, I, I've been trying to stay off of social media too, because every time I do, I just get frustrated. Um, but it seems like people are working really hard to actually misunderstand and misrepresent things that people said. They're working harder to misunderstand and misrepresent than they are trying to actually understand the heart and the tone of what that person was saying. And that just gets really discouraging. But again, it shows the divide. We have in our denomination right now, and uh, I'd be curious. Uh, you know, feel free to tell me you don't have any thoughts on this. But how do you think we got here as a denomination? How do we got to this 
point where we have such a stark division in the Christian Reformed Church? Yeah, well, I think there is a perception that, you know, historically we're a, um, a denomination grounded in scripture and strong in doctrine and really heavy on the head. But I don't think we can say that anymore. I think there's remnants of that and people that still do that. But as a whole, I think there's kind of some, a lot of confusion and we're not really clear in our categories. And, um, and I'll, I'll just, Jason, for you personally, I, you know, it was like a year ago or so I started listening to these podcasts and part of it was just waking up that there's, there's a lot of confusion out there, right? For many years, we kind of took that for granted that the doctrinal piece was there, but I don't think we can take it for granted anymore. So, you know, so that, I think that's one of the reasons, um, Another reason, and maybe this is more from my missions background, but, you know, on the mission field, like if you're in another country, we, we talk about syncretism, mm-hmm. where you conflate what's biblical with the culture. So, for example, growing up in Japan, after World War II, the, the Japanese government forced the Christians there to worship the emperor, and, and most did, although there were some wow. Reformed pastors that did it, that led to the Reformed Church of Japan, which we worked with. So from the outside looking in, we would say, well, that's not biblical, you know, to say you're a Christian, but have this idolatry. Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary to India many years, came back to Great Britain as he retired. And he said this, we in the West are the most syncretistic culture. We've conflated Christianity with all these values of our culture, and we don't even see it. And I think some of that's going on as well. And so, especially in this area of sexual identity, Right. It's not even about the behavior so much as it's a it's an identity. So you speak against someone's behavior or you say the behavior is sinful, people feel attacked in who they are. So you can't even get to first base with a conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's that's to me like a conflation of uh it's like a blind spot that we have, right? With the religious syncretism. But it takes people from the outside. And I think we have a gift here with our non-Anglo brothers and sisters both within North America and from the global church looking in to say, you guys <laughs> be careful, you know? And yeah. so those would be maybe two things that I would say about how we got here, but maybe people in the future have to write that history for us and have a clear understanding, right? We're probably right in the middle of it right now. So. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we are right in the middle. I know everybody wants to be at the end. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, that's typically not where we're at. We're kind of right in the middle of it and we've got a long ways to go. And, uh, but I think you're right. And I think, I think you're right that that's kind of how we've gotten to be where we're at. And, and you can just, there are moments, right? I mean, there are good moments where I've talked with people who, who I disagree with on these issues and we can come to some level of clarity, but there are other moments where we're talking and I think, boy, we are talking two very different languages. Even we're using the same words but the words that I'm saying are making you think something different, right? I think, uh, I think there was an, an abide article that came out. They're like same words, different dictionaries kind of that Laura Copley put out. And I think that's, I think that's really important for us to look at because I think we are using a lot of the same words, but we do mean different things by them. And that's where some of this divide happens. And then it's also why it becomes so difficult to actually have a helpful conversation because you have to, Again, you have to clarify, well, what do you mean when you say that? And, uh, and then people start to get frustrated, like, what do you mean? What do I mean? I, I, this is what I mean. And you're like, yeah, but, but I think we mean different things by that, which is actually why 
Um, this is probably a good opportunity for me to get a correction in here. So I got a, I got a, I got, not, it wasn't a full out rebuke. It was a, they called it a friendly critique of uh, one of my last podcasts. I had said that, uh, that at Synod, we adopted um, the teachings of the human sexuality report as confessional. And they said, actually, no, we didn't. We, we, we just, because that wasn't very helpful. That actually caused a lot of confusion. And so that's not what we adopted. Um, what we did was we, we made sure that we understood what the word unchastity meant in our confessions, and that it included um, adultery, pornography, and uh, you know, a number of other things, and, and homosexual sex. That was, that was what unchastity meant. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to get that in the podcast so that I can <laughs> repent of my, and they, 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 they chastised me. They're like, hey, the guy that keeps talking about clarity kind of made things muddy there a little bit. And I said, I, I'll take that rebuke. And I'll correct that. Um, but again, I think that was a really helpful thing to do. And actually, I really appreciated that, which is why I was kind of choking on my words that I messed that up. But again, we're saying, okay, this word unchastity, what do we mean by that word in the Christian Reformed Church? When we say that, this is what we mean by that. And here's the clarity around that word. And I think that's important because, again, people have different definitions for that word. And we're going to have to keep doing that. Yeah. in some ways saying, this is what we mean by this word and, uh, and keep moving forward with that. So, Amen. so there's my, there's my correction for You're all forgiven. those. I'm sorry. You're yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. All, you know, I try to let people know, I mean, i I get rebuked and corrected all the time and that's okay. That's a beautiful yeah. thing. And, uh, I have learned over the years, I think I said this from the synod floor that when I reflect back on my life, all of the major turning points in my life came because of faithful people rebuking me and saying, knock it off. This is not how we, this is not how you handle things. Or, or I, I told people, um, I had a, a very young believer. I mean, he, he came to a believer in his mid thirties. I think he had been a believer for a couple of years and he had heard me preach early on in my ministry and I got done preaching and he came up to me and said, Jason, that sermon was scripture light. And, and, uh, oh, just hit me in the heart. I, I'd been up there just telling a lot of stories and all of that. And he's like, that's not what we need. We need you to give us God's word and uh, change the whole trajectory of my life and my ministry. And I was like, you're right. I need to repent of that. And so I did. We changed our whole ministry so that we would focus on God's word. And so I pray, I pray that some of this correction coming out of synod will have that same kind of effect in the life of the church, that people will hear the rebuke, that the spirit will work, will cut to the heart, and, uh, and we can see some reform and kind of see the trajectory of the Christian Reformed Church change in a way that uh, continues to build up the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, amen. And I, I've had the same thing with other pastors, or especially my elders, when they'll speak into my life. You know, hard things, but they're good things. And yeah, you said that at the floor of Synod. You also, you also quoted from Hebrews, right? God disciplines those he loves, he's treating you as a son. It's in the context of that love that these hard conversations can happen. The correcting, rebuking, you know, those are hard things. But I think you're right. Unless we have those hard conversations, we're, we're not going to really get clear or Christ-like or whatever. So we, we need to keep leaning into that with love and not be afraid of that. So Yeah, amen. Another question we're, we're kind of want to ask everybody, I think it's just an interesting question throughout you know, it was a hard week. We had a lot of conversations. What, what did you learn about yourself 
and or the Christian Reformed Church um, throughout this last uh, this last synod? Yeah, so I'll take the first question first. What did I learn about myself? Um, a couple character things, like God's still growing me. So, for example, courage. I, I think last year or two, he's grown a lot of courage in me that maybe I didn't have before, but needed to have. And whether it was our church writing an overture to classes, we did that two times, or listening to other pastors that see it differently, you know, reaching out to them, that takes a lot of courage. And so that was one thing. Faith is another. And I think this whole thing of bathing synod in prayer, you know, and just keep praying and praying. And and then you see the fruit of what happened. You're like, wow, I just totally underestimated God. I need more faith. Yeah, <laughs> and, amen. You know, so, and then humility. I have so much more to learn, um, more areas to grow to be Christ-like and compassionate. And especially with the whole same-sex conversation, it's not just an idea, but there's real people. God has to soften our hearts and we have to have a lot of love and gentleness. So those are the character things. Um, one other thing, just personally, I've always had this idea of, you know, growing up in the mission field, family on mission, where we have a big mission to tackle, you know, saving the Japanese people, but you do it together in a, mm -hmm. in a missionary family, not not nuclear family, but extended uncles and aunts. And, and we've tried to replicate that here in Houston and other places. You just, you're on mission together as a family, extended family. And, uh, you know, this whole year or two leading up to Synod, I've felt that. I've felt part of a bigger cause, right? Synod was huge with yeah. the stakes and what was happening, but meeting old friends, making new friends, you know, and, and it's just been a joy to kind of be a part of that. And I've learned about myself, the importance of that. And I, don't, I just don't want to do ministry alone. So, Amen. Those are, those are some learnings about myself with the CRC. Um, I mentioned about the, the deep divide, which kind of is what it is, but there's also a lot of good things. I've, I was just so impressed meeting so many wonderful people, you know, and that's part of the, the family and mission thing, but our deep theology as a denomination, even though we need to guard that and protect it, um, Professor Waima, Tuninga, just the HSR is a gift. Some of the new professors at Calvin, uh, uh, Wilson Kuna, the Old Testament professor, really just impressed by him. He knows my brother and uh, Zach King, you know, he's going to be a good leader for us. We lead with integrity. And he needs our prayer. So a lot of good things, good people. Um, the other last thing about the CRC I've learned is that God's not done with us yet. Amen. You know, it's it's an unwritten story. It's still unfolding. There's still a lot at stake, so we need to stay vigilant. But um, I thought Colin Watson's, um, you know, presentation as our executive director, here's the future. Here's and a lot of it had to do with cross-cultural ministry, and God is already moving in the global south in amazing ways, but a lot of that's bleeding over to the CRC, and we see that in Houston and other places. So I'm, I'm hopeful in those regards and want to lean into where God's moving, guard the good deposit that we have, and then do it together and work out the differences and see where, you know, there's still unknowns about the future, but I, I'm hopeful in, in different ways. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that was, uh, again, I think I've said that before, but one of the one of the beautiful parts of being at Synod is uh, I, I made it just a goal that every time I sat down for lunch or uh, any meal, I would sit, try to sit in a group of like, hey, I don't recognize any of those people. Let me go sit and have lunch with them. And, uh, you know, I walked away from every one of those conversations blessed and feeling like, 
wow, we've got so many good people in our denomination. There's just so many faithful men and women serving the Lord and, and on mission. And uh, it's so encouraging because we, we have this tendency to just hold on to all of the negative, frustrating parts, right? And so um, I know that just being, you know, I was a, a pastor, I was a youth pastor in a church that was under a bunch of conflict and and you just get focused on the conflict and you get focused on the negative comments. You get focused on all that, that you just, it's so easy to forget what God's doing and all of just the faithfulness there. And even when the conflict is a small part of what's happening, um, you, you, you forget that and you get focused on that. And so going to Synod was actually, yeah, we had some conflict there, but actually the majority of the conversations I had with people were just good uh, godly upbuilding and reminded me like we have a faithful we have a we are a faithful denomination with a lot of faithful people and like you said yeah god's not done with us yet and uh and i think i think god will use us in even bigger ways i think we can see that even just in some of the responses to what happened at synod um there's been so many different articles coming from different corners of the of the us and people who are you can tell i've been saying this on the podcast that people are watching us and and they're watching what we're going to do at this upcoming synod. And then as we did it, all of a sudden now you see different people from different corners of the world saying, look at what just happened at synod. And you're like, see, people are watching us. And I, I think God's still going to use us. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm excited. I think what happened at synod is actually going to encourage faithfulness in other denominations and in other leaders as well. So it's, it's exciting. Yeah, just to add to that, people, are, I think we're watching not just in the U.S. and Canada, but overseas. There's a we're part of a global church. Um, my dad was the dean of students and our dean of international students, um, our dean of students, international student advisor, whatever, for Calvin Seminary for 12 years. So he has a lot of connections overseas, both from his time in Japan, but also at seminary. So, you know, he's in contact with a lot of people. And yeah, a lot of people, like you said, were watching. And then you hear the comments from overseas, and it's it's you know encouraging to say people are praying, God is working, and we still got more work to do, but God's not done with us yet, right? So, yeah. Amen. Yeah, and we were even reminded that from the floor of synod, right? That our ecumenical delegate from the Netherlands said, "We're watching it. All of there are people in the Netherlands watching the live stream right now because they want to see what you're doing." And I think that's only a. Uh, um, that's just a microcosm of the broader thing. I just um, briefly looked the other day to see who was all listening to this podcast. And there were people in Zimbabwe and, mm. and other, like there are people from all over the world listening to my puny little podcast, which is crazy <laughs> to me because people are curious about what's going on at the church in the US, but just the Christian Reformed Church in general. And so um, again, I'm thankful that I think we had a, I think we had a good witness at Synod and, uh, and pray that we keep having that, that witness moving forward, which is kind of the, the last question that I want to ask is just kind of based on what just happened at Synod. And as we kind of look forward to the future of the Christian Reformed Church, what would be your encouragement for us as leaders and lay leaders in the church? Well, what, what kinds of steps do we need to take moving forward in the Christian Reformed Church? Yeah, well, a lot of it's around prayer. So I would say we need to stay very prayerful about these next steps with um, especially the discipline for Neyland, that God would bring together the right people for that in local community or in local yeah, committee to go yeah. visit with them and classes spread up its east. So pray for the right people. 
Um, pray for Zach King as he steps into our new role as General Secretary, uh, Council of Delegates, Calvin University, Calvin Seminary. Um, I think we all need to stay vigilant together. But with, with Synod, I'm, you know, the immediate future is how can we get the message of Synod out and not let it be overshadowed with social media and other voices that maybe detract from that. So that's immediate. And I think long term, um, you know, we double down on, on who we are as CRC with our reformed identity, creeds, confessions, uh, guard the gospel, but also lean into evangelism and missions, church planting, and, you know, see fruit from that grow. We have got a big problem with the decline <laughs> of our denomination, right? So, but, but how do we go about reaching new people? Uh, how do we go about when we do discipleship? You know, making sure that's gospel centered and we're teaching people the faith as we go and reaching new people in that way. And then again, bathing everything in prayer. If there's one takeaway from Synod besides keep the faith and all that, like just the power of prayer. And I'm yeah. still in awe of so much of what God did. So I think that's what I would leave with everybody. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for Synod Reflections from Daryl DeClerc. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.